I'm going to start this morning in Romans chapter 1. We started a series last uh, Sunday morning that we've entitled Healing Belongs to Us. And we introduced the subject a little bit last, uh, last Sunday morning, but we want to go a little bit further. And we'll continue to do so for the next, uh, I think I'm going to go for eight weeks on this subject. If that doesn't seem long enough when we get to the end of that, we'll just keep going. You know by now I'm not governed by the clock or the calendar. But we want to do what the Lord wants us to do in this, uh, in this series. And, uh, and I really have some things stirring around in our hearts. Uh, it's something that the Lord directly spoke to me about doing. And I, I thought I was misinterpreting what he was saying for a couple of weeks. I've known for several weeks that it was something we wanted to do. But I wasn't sure of the timing of it, and, and because we have healing school every Sunday evening, I, uh, it took me a little bit to sign on, but it's something that stuck with me, and so I'm expecting some supernatural and even miraculous results from this series. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now I want to read to you from uh, Dr. Schofield's reference Bible, the notes that he's got on this verse in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Dr. Schofield, if you don't know, if you don't come from a background, a, a denominational background, you may not know that Dr. Schofield is considered to be the foremost Baptist theologian in modern times. It was a very proud thing in the Baptist Church, Southern Baptist Church that I grew up in to own a Schofield Bible. And if you didn't have one, people kind of looked sideways at you, to be honest with you. It was something that everybody aspired to have. It was the perfect Christmas gift or birthday gift or whatever, no matter what age person you were buying for. My point is just simply to say, that he is, was, I haven't been Baptist now for a long time. Once I got hope filled with the Holy Ghost, that pretty much did that. <laughs> but he was, in, in my youth, the most revered Baptist scholar out there. Here's what he said about Romans 1.16. He said, the Hebrew and Greek words for salvation, not just this one, but the words that are used for salvation throughout the New Testament. The Hebrew and the Greek words for salvation imply the ideas of deliverance, safety, preservation, healing, and soundness. Salvation is the great inclusive word of the gospel, gathering into itself all the redemptive acts and processes as justification, redemption, grace, propitiation, imputation, forgiveness, sanctification, and glorification. Now the foremost Baptist scholar in modern times said that the word salvation includes healing along with rescue, deliverance, safety, preservation, and soundness. Now there are two main words in the New Testament that are used for the word salvation and I want you to see several of them with me this morning. I want you to look with me now to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 and verse 10 says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This word salvation is the same word in Romans 1.16. It's the Greek word soteria. There are two primary words that are used for uh, translated salvation from the Greek into the English throughout the New Testament. And this is one of them. The first one is soteria. The second one is sozo. It's S-O-Z-O. But I think you say it, I'm told you say it with a, a D sound, sozo. The only difference in these two words, the definitions and the meanings of these two words, well, let me just say it this way. The difference in these two words, the meaning of these two words, is so slight it's hard to distinguish between them. 
from what I understand about the Greek language, the reason you use one word instead of another has to do with the action involved. Although that doesn't hold true in every case where one of these words are used in the New Testament. But let me show you the other word, sozo. Back up with me to Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. For with the heart, I'm sorry, I read verse 10 again. Verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. This word saved is the word sozo. So you can see he's talking about the same thing even though he uses both words. Verse 10 again, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Sozo is a little bit more of an action word than soteria is. But they both have the same meaning. And Dr. Schofield says that the meaning includes rescue, deliver, safety, soundness, preservation, and healing. Now let me show you a couple of times where this word sozo is used in other places in action. Look with me to Mark chapter 5. Beginning in verse 22, and behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed, sozo, that she may be sozoed. I know that's not good English, but you get the point. That she may be sozoed and she shall live. And Jesus went with him and much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better but rather grew worse. When she heard of Jesus came in the press behind and touched his garment for she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. This word whole is the word sozo. If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be sozoed. And we know what she's after. She's after healing for her body. We know what Jairus is after for his daughter. He's after healing. Straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that virtue or power had gone out of him turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee and sayest thou who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith has sozoed thee. Thy faith has made thee whole. It's the word sozo. Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Let me remind you also of James chapter 5 and verse 15. Instructions given to the church to pray for the sick or to minister to the sick, really. Verse 15 of James chapter 5 says, And the prayer of faith shall save. This is the word sozo, the sick. It's talking about healing. Healing is being saved from sickness. And the prayer of faith shall sozo the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. My point is very simply this. There is no distinction whatsoever in the scripture. I know there is in church teaching and denominations and beliefs and so forth but there is no distinction in the church in the word of god the scriptural definition or use of the term salvation between the remission of sins and healing for the physical body none whatsoever ever in fact you may remember the story of when jesus is ministering in a certain place mark says it's his house but where the man that's crippled is brought up onto the roof by his four friends, the roof is taken apart and let down in the midst of where the crowd is. Too big a crowd for him to get in through the door, so they came down through the roof. The Bible says when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto, they, said unto them, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Now, I would submit to you that he's not there for forgiveness of sins. I would submit to you that he's there because they've heard that Jesus is the healer. But Jesus is making a point. He said, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the religious people that are filling up the house get all bothered about that. They start questioning among themselves, who can forgive sins except God alone? Well, that should have been a clue. And Jesus responded and says, why reason you these things in your heart? 
Which is easier to say, man, thy sins are forgiven thee, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? Now notice what Jesus is asking. He's asking, which is greater power or what's the difference in the power? To forgive sins and to heal the physical body. He goes on to say, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins. He said to the sick of the palsy, arise, take up your bed and walk, and he rose immediately. No distinction ever between this term that the church uses and calls salvation, which the modern-day church has watered down to mean forgiveness of sins. But that's not even what salvation is, folks. Salvation is not the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins means to overlook something. Salvation is the remission of sins, the removal thereof. Jesus is saying it's the same power that heals the body as that remits sins. Now I want you to look with me to some other scriptures. Look to the Old Testament. Isaiah 53. I'm reading from the King James Speaking of Jesus, and every theologian, every Bible scholar agrees that the 53rd chapter of Isaiah is the Messianic chapter. It's the chapter that defines the work of the Messiah. Nobody will argue that. Nobody that believes in Jesus anyway. Beginning in verse 3, it says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Now these two words, griefs and sorrows, are translated other places in the Bible as sickness and pains. Now why did the translators translate the Old Testament Hebrew, and remember Dr. Schofield talked about both the Hebrew and the Greek words concerning salvation, that both carry the meaning of an all-inclusive term that includes healing for the body, preservation, safety, soundness, and so forth. That would be true concerning this or the description of salvation in the Old Testament. When the translators came to this verse, going from the Hebrew to the English, I think they punted the ball. In the time that it was written, the time that the King James Version came out in the 1400s, healing was not widely accepted as a part of the work of Jesus. And perhaps, I don't know for sure, but perhaps based on their understanding or lack of understanding of what Jesus has provided for mankind, They put in what is, in my opinion, an innocuous term for griefs and sorrows that at the very least we would have to say that it's vague and much less descriptive than the Bible goes on to to speak to. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, This is the word pains. And acquainted with grief. This is the word sickness. Now the word acquainted is the word know. It's the word that's used in the Old Testament where it said that Adam knew his wife and she conceived. It's talking about an intimate relationship. An intimate connection. Knowledge through connection. It doesn't mean acquainted like we use the term that we might be acquainted with someone. Meaning we're not close friends with them. That's not what this word means. It means intimate knowledge. He's a man of pains and acquainted with sickness. Connected to it, in other words. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised him and we esteemed him not. Surely. Notice this word surely. S-U-R-E-L-Y. The only time it's used in this chapter. Talking about Jesus. Surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. 
yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is, is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he has done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. This is the word sickness. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide with him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he has poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now, Matthew chapter 8 and verse 17 gives us a Holy Ghost commentary of what Isaiah was saying. Matthew 8, which I believe was inspired by the Holy Ghost just as much as the rest of the Bible. The Holy Ghost impressed upon Matthew, who was one of the twelve that lived with Jesus, walked with him, worked with him for his three years of ministry. He saw what Jesus did. And after the resurrection came to an understanding by the revelation of the Holy Ghost, what was taking place that he didn't understand at the time. It's not like Matthew's walking around with Jesus taking notes to write down later on. These are things that the Holy Ghost brought to his remembrance and to his understanding that he wrote about after the fact. So he said in verse 17, in response to Jesus healing the sick, he healed all that were sick. Verse 16 says, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now, if you look at what the Old Testament refers to, the only place that Isaiah said anything like this was in Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. Here's Matthew, inspired by the Holy Ghost, telling us what Isaiah was saying. Jesus healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet himself, bear our infirmities and carried our sickness. Matthew says Isaiah was talking about sickness and pains in the 53rd chapter. What we know of is the 53rd chapter, no matter what the translators put. Now go back with me to Isaiah 53. I want you to see some other things about this. Isaiah 53. Notice it says in verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our, sick, our sorrows. He has borne our sickness and carried our pains. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. I want you to notice the words carried, born and carried in verse 4. In the Hebrew, the word born is the word nasa, and the word carried is the word sabal. These are Levitical terms. They have meaning, specific meaning for the children of Israel because of their understanding of the Old Testament types and the rituals that God has given them as a part of their worship. Now, what it's referring to is the Old Testament Day of Atonement. Now, on the Day of Atonement, there were certain things that, were, that took place. There were two animals that were chosen. Selected because of their purity and without spot or blemish and so forth. The priest had to do a th very thorough inspection to make sure that they were worthy. Now when these two animals were presented to the high priest. Lots were cast. 
They drew straws, in other words, for which one would serve which purpose. They both had a purpose and they both had to do a work. One of the animals was going to be killed. It was going to be the sacrifice that through the shedding of its blood, an atonement was made, not remission, but an atonement, which means a covering over, was made for the sins of Israel by the blood of this perfect animal. But the other one, was called the scapegoat. The scapegoat had a different purpose. Let me read to you from Leviticus chapter 16 what the purpose for this thing was. Beginning in verse 21, it says, And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities, that means sins, of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away the scapegoat by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness and the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited and he shall let go of the goat in the wilderness now here in verse 22 where it says and the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities this is that word nasa It's a Levitical term. It means to carry away for the purpose of removing. So the Old Testament type that these words in Isaiah 53 fulfill or refer to is that of sins or evil being carried away by the scapegoat from the children of Israel as a substitute The sins are placed upon the head of the goat. The confession of these sins is made over the goat. And it serves as the sacrifice in Israel's place. Now that's what it says about Jesus bearing away sins or sickness and pains. Back to Isaiah 53. Let me show you some other things about this. Let me read it again. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrow with an intimate connection with sickness. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne, carried away as a substitute, our sickness. And carried, same thing as a substitute, our pains. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Now skip down with me to verse 11 and 12 again. Let me read these two verses again. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear here's the word Nasa. He shall bear their iniquities. Now everybody understands that that means as a substitute, don't we? In verse eleven where it says Jesus shall bear the iniquities of all of us, bear the iniquities of the world, we understand that that means he bore them so we don't have to bear them, don't we? It's a substitutionary word. It's a Levitical term. Verse 12. Therefore will I divide, with, divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This word bear used in verse 12 is the word sabal. It's a Levitical term. It means to carry away and remove once and for all as a substitute. Folks, I want you to understand something. God is very precise and he's very exact when he talked about what Jesus would do. Surely he has borne, carried away as a substitute, our sickness. And carried our pains as a substitute. Never in the Bible is there a distinction made between the forgiveness of sins and the healing for the physical body when it comes to the work of Jesus concerning salvation. Never. The church developed that on their own. Now let me read this to you from some other translations. I don't want you to take my word for the definition of certain terms. 
So let me read this to you from some other translations. In Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 4, from Isaac Lesser's translation. Now, just to let you know before I read this, Isaac Lesser's translation is the only translation that is recognized by the Orthodox Jews in the English language. The only one. So you would well understand that the Orthodox Jews would have checked this out to be correct according to the language. Did you get that? It's the only one that the Orthodox Jews, who know the Hebrew language better than anybody else, recognize as accurate. Verse 4, but only our diseases did he bear himself, and our pains he carried. While we indeed esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, yet he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, And through his bruises was healing granted to us. Now, folks, everybody understands that verse 5 is talking about the work of Jesus on the cross as our substitute. But notice what the language declares. Yet he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and through his bruises was healing granted to us. That's what the Jews recognize as the translation of Isaiah 53, 5 from the Hebrew to the English. We all like sheep went astray, everyone to his own way did we turn, and the Lord let befall him the guilt of us all. He was oppressed and he was also taunted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like the lamb which is led to the slaughter and like a ewe before her shearers is dumb, and he opened not his mouth. Through oppression and through judicial punishment was he taken away. But his generation, who could tell that he was cut away out of the land of life, that for the transgressions of my people the plague was laid on him. And he let his grave be made with the wicked and with the godless rich at his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him through disease. King James says the Lord has put him to grief. But the Lord was pleased to crush him through disease. When now his soul has brought the trespass offering. Then shall he see his seed and live many days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Freed from the trouble of his soul shall he see the good and be satisfied. Through through his knowledge shall my righteous servant bring the many to righteousness while he will bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the many and with the strong shall he divide the spoil because he poured out his soul unto death and with transgressors was he numbered while he bore the sin of many and for the transgressors he let evil befall him. Let me read to you from another translation, the complete Jewish Bible. I won't read the whole thing. I'll just pick out certain verses. Verse 3. People despised and avoided him. A man of pains, well acquainted with illness. Like someone from whom people turned their faces, he was despised. We did not value him. In fact, it was our diseases he bore and our pains from which he suffered. Yet we regarded him as punished. Stricken and afflicted by God. Verse 5, but he was wounded because of our crimes, crushed because of our sins. The disciplining that makes us whole fell on him, and by his bruises we are healed. Verse 10, yet it pleased Adonai to crush him with illness to see if he would present himself as a guilt offering. If he does, he will see his offspring and he will prolong his days. And at his hand, Adonai's desire will be accomplished. The Jerusalem publication society translation says this verse 4 surely our diseases he did bear and our pains he carried whereas we did esteem him stricken of smitten of God and afflicted but he was wounded because of our transgressions he was crushed because of our iniquities the chastisement of our welfare was upon him and with his stripes we are healed verse 10 yet it pleased the Lord to crush him by disease 
the Jubilee Bible reads this way. Verse 4, surely he has borne our sicknesses and suffered our pain. And we considered him stricken, smitten of God and cast down. But he was wounded for our rebellions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes healing was provided for us all. The Lexham English Bible says it this way. He was despised and rejected of men, verse 3. A man of suffering and acquainted with sickness. And like one from whom others hide their faces, he was despised and we did not hold him in high regard. However, he was the one who lifted up our sicknesses and he carried our pain. Yet we ourselves assumed him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our transgressions crushed because of our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his wounds we were healed verse 10 yet Yahweh was pleased to crush him he made him sick the literal version he is despised and abandoned of men a man of pain and acquainted with sickness And as it were, hiding our faces from him, he being despised, we did not value him. Surely he has borne our sicknesses and he carried our pain. Yet we esteemed him plagued, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his wounds we ourselves are healed. Verse 10. But Jehovah pleased to crush him, to make him sick. Finally, the Young's Literal Translation. Robert Young was the author of the Young's Literal Analytical Concordance. One of the foremost Greek and Hebrew scholars of his day. He is despised and left of men, a man of pains and acquainted with sickness. And as one hiding the face from us, he is despised and we esteemed him not. Surely our sicknesses he has borne and our pains He has carried them. And we, we have esteemed him plagued, smitten of God and afflicted. And he is pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him. And by his bruise there is healing to us. Verse 10. And Jehovah has delighted to bruise him. He has made him sick. Folks, I want you to understand something. I wasn't trying to be tedious about reading all those different translations, but I wanted you to hear it over and over and over again and see that there are honest and legitimate Hebrew scholars that translate this as sickness and disease. Now, whatever you think about it, whatever you think about it, you have to acknowledge certain things. First of all, the words grief and sorrows in the King James, literally sickness and pains, is never, ever used in the Old Testament. Speaking of spiritual things, only physical afflictions. So for the modern day church to say Jesus bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, and that has something to do with some spiritual meaning. They're showing their ignorance of the Hebrew language. Secondly, these words born and carried, Nasa and Sabal from the Hebrew. And I have no idea if I'm saying them right. Have to carry the same meaning concerning sickness and disease in verse 4 as they carry and hold. In verses 11 and 12 where it talks about the, the carrying, the bearing and the carrying away of the iniquities of man. So whatever you want to attach to that. If you want to attach as some have done in the modern day church. And say that well see Matthew eight sixteen and 17 says that Jesus healed all that, they, all that were sick there to fulfill what Isaiah was saying. Then you have to attach the same sense, the same time, the same timing to the bearing away of the iniquity of mankind. Very simply, I'm saying this. 
If Jesus bore away the sins, or the sicknesses, excuse me, if Jesus bore away the sicknesses of mankind while he was here on the earth, and that's what Matthew eight sixteen and 17 is saying, then you have to conclude by definition of the language itself that he bore away the sins of mankind before he went to the cross. There is no other explanation. It either means that Jesus did the work on the cross for both sin and sickness, or he did the work on the, in his earthly ministry concerning both sin and sickness. Can't have it both ways. I'll say it again. Never is there a distinction in the Bible made between what the modern day church calls salvation meaning forgiveness of sins and the healing for the physical body never now turn back with me to Romans chapter 1 again verse 16 Paul said for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it the good news of Jesus and what he's done for mankind. Everybody understands that's what the gospel is, isn't it? When Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, every denomination acknowledges that that means go tell what Jesus did on the cross for mankind. And they may not acknowledge everything that he did. But that's what they mean by the word gospel. That which Jesus has done for man through his sacrifice on the cross. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to rescue, to deliver, to protect, to make safe, and to heal. Who's it for? To everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now that we've acknowledged certain things that the Bible says, and we certainly haven't exhausted it. But we've acknowledged certain things that the Bible says about what God's intent and what God's definition of salvation is to include not only the remission of sins for man, but also healing for the physical body. Notice what Paul says by the Holy Ghost is the power that brings healing. He says it's the gospel. Notice what he does not say. He does not say it's prayer. See, folks, I've seen people go down to sickness and disease praying. Prayer is not the power of God to heal. He does not say it's the gift of healing or some other work of the Holy Ghost. I've seen people go down trying to get that to work. He does not say it's being filled with the Holy Ghost and praying in other tongues. As valuable as that is, that's not the power of God to heal. He says there's one and only one thing that is the power of God to heal, and that's the Word of God. That's how we know the gospel of Jesus, isn't it? That's how we know what Jesus has done for us, and it's through the Word. Psalm 107 verse 20 says God sent His Word and healed us. Then say he sent us gifts to the Spirit to heal us. Now we've all seen maybe examples ourselves or heard stories of gifts of the Spirit or where the Holy Ghost would move in some special or spect- spectacular way and healing would be accomplished in someone's life or body. Thank God that those things work. We believe in them. We see them. We thank God for those things. But they don't work for everybody. Notice the Bible does not say, Paul did not say, that people with special anointings is the power of God to heal. Although we know that God set certain people in the church with ministry, special anointings to minister to the sick. Thank God that those things work, but they don't work for everybody. The simple fact is this. God did not put special anointings or gifts of healings in the church for the church to heal herself with. 
He sent his word and healed us. He sent his word and healed us. Now I'll remind you also of a scripture we already looked at in, in James chapter 5 and verse 15. It says, In the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick, and the Lord shall raise them up. But I want you to notice something about that. It says a very specific prayer does the work. It's a prayer of faith. Well, the Bible says in Romans ten seventeen. so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. See, you've got a lot of people in the church that are praying, even praying for healing, but it's not a prayer based on the word. It's not a prayer based on the knowledge of what Jesus has done for us. It's not a prayer based on the truth of salvation, including physical healing for the body. And so that prayer doesn't work. That prayer doesn't affect healing. It says the prayer of faith shall save the sick or heal the sick. And the Lord will raise them up. Remember in John chapter 15 and verse 7, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. That's the prayer of faith. When the word of God is the basis for your prayer. When the abiding word of God and the truth of what Jesus has done for us and what belongs to us is the foundation for your prayer to seek the healing for your body that you need. That's the prayer that works. So we'd have to trace the power back to the word, just like Paul said. The gospel is the power of God into healing. The good news of what Jesus has done is the power of God into healing. Finally, turn with me to Acts chapter 14. It tells us in verse 6 that Paul and his company, Paul and Barnabas, were in the region of Galatia. The people were going to do them harm. And so they found out about it in verse 6. They were aware of it and fled into Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia and under the region that lies round about. The region round about there is the, Galatia, region of, uh, the region of Galatia. Notice verse 7. It says, and there, talking about Lystra and Derby." the cities of that region. And there they preached the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? Well, we've already identified that as the good news of what Jesus did for us on the cross. There's no other definition we could put on that, is it? The gospel, the word gospel itself means good news. Well, what good news? The good news of what Jesus did. And there they preached the gospel. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak. Now, we already know what he's talking, what he's preaching or speaking. He's preaching the gospel, the good news of what Jesus did. The same heard Paul speak, who, steadfastly beholding him, the crippled man, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet, and he leaped and walked. Now, folks, I want to submit something to you. First time Paul's ever been to this city. First time anybody has ever preached the name of Jesus in this city. Paul is the first to declare who Jesus is and to tell people about what he did for us through his sacrifice. And the Bible identifies that. The Holy Ghost specifically says that that's preaching the gospel. Now, again, I'll remind you of Romans ten seventeen, which says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So if we know that the man had faith to be healed, then he has to, has to have heard something preached, the word preached concerning healing. By definition, if he has faith to be healed, then Paul had to be including healing in his preaching that he calls the gospel, that the Holy Ghost calls the gospel. Again, I'll make the point, make the statement, that there is never a time in the Scripture where salvation is separated out between forgiveness of sins and healing for the body. It is an all-inclusive term. Dr. Schofield was exactly right. It's an all-inclusive term. Every time it's used, it means the totality 
of that which Jesus paid for with his own blood. Isaiah 53 could not be clearer than to reveal that his blood paid the price as our substitute for sin and paid the price as our substitute for physical healing. He couldn't be clearer. So Paul perceives that this guy has faith to be healed. First time he's ever heard about Jesus. What does Paul have to be declaring? I came to a revelation here over the last year that I'm ashamed to say that it took me so long to see. But I'm like a lot of folks, I guess. We've all done it in certain times, certain situations. Where you read things and you think you know what the Bible says so you don't really pay attention to what, it's, what you're reading. Well, I did that with Jesus in his ministry on the earth. Because the Bible tells us very specifically, it's been there forever, that Jesus told his disciples to go in before him into the cities and heal the sick, proclaiming that the kingdom of God had come nigh. He sent them into the cities to preach the kingdom of God. Well, I just thought the kingdom of God was a general term that meant stuff about God. But it dawned on me one day when Jesus was rebuking his disciples after walking with them for three years for something that he said that they didn't believe. What in the world did these guys know about God? They didn't understand the parables that he told. They'd have to come to him afterwards and say, what would that mean? And he'd tell them. Well, why in the world would Jesus trust guys that don't have a clue about God or the things of God to be the first one to go into the cities to tell them about what God's plan is. It came to my recognition, I realized, that it had to mean something very specific or else he could not have trusted them to just go tell what they thought about God. Because every time they asked Jesus questions, what they thought about God was shown to be wrong. Well, why in the world would Jesus trust guys that don't know anything about God to go tell other people about God? I wonder about that when I look at some of the preaching going on in the modern day church today. It had to mean something very specific. Then it came to my understanding that Jesus gave the definition for the kingdom of God when he gave the disciples the Lord's Prayer. He told them to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. That means the kingdom of God, doesn't it? Thy kingdom come. Here's the definition of the kingdom of God. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, the kingdom of God is when the will of God is done on the earth just like it is in heaven. Any sickness in heaven? Anybody have any problem with sickness or disease in heaven? Any lack in heaven? Any sin problem in heaven? Jesus told the disciples to go and preach, teach something very specific. That God wants the same thing here for you on the earth as he wants for you in heaven. I've never had anybody. It, It dawned on me when I started thinking along these terms, along these lines. The Lord began to speak to me in, in about a lot of things and a lot of aspects about this. I've never had anybody ask me what is the will of God concerning sickness and disease in heaven. Never. We all understand that in heaven there will be nothing that can hurt or destroy. We all understand that there's no presence of the devil. There's no presence of spiritual death. There's no presence of sickness and disease in heaven. Everybody gets that. Why is there no sickness and disease in heaven? Because that's where God rules. That's where the kingdom of God is in effect. Jesus told the disciples to preach that the kingdom of God has come to the earth or is near to come to the earth. For us, he's already come through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. For them, he told them to heal the sick and say, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. It's close. It's near. The only message the disciples had, they didn't even go preach Jesus. 
Jesus didn't even go tell them, go tell them that I'm coming. If he had wanted to draw a crowd and if he wanted to stir up some, inf- uh, some interest in him before he came, he wouldn't have told them to do the healing works. He would have told them to tell the people of the cities the healing works that they've seen in Jesus and that he'll be here soon. But he sends them to preach that the will of God is to do the same things here on the earth just like it is in heaven. Folks, I would submit to you that that's what Paul's preaching in Acts 14. Paul is preaching that through the sacrifice of Jesus, Jesus coming to the earth, offering himself as a sacrifice on the cross, dying for the redemption of mankind, and being raised from the dead, God has affected the kingdom of God and it's available for everyone here and now so that it's the will of God for your bodies just like it's the will of God for your spirits to be made new. And the Bible calls that the gospel. I'm here to tell you the same thing. And Paul said, this is the power of God to heal. Well, he must know. He's got a lot of experience with it. He said the gospel of Christ is the power of God to heal. What that means is very simply this. Because of the work that Jesus has already done. Not going to do. He's not going to do one more thing for you. And he doesn't have to because he's already done everything for you. Because of the work that Jesus has already done. It's just as much the will of God for you to walk in divine health, to be healed from any and every sickness and disease, as it is the will of God for your spirit to be made new and to be born again. God makes no distinction between the two. The same precious blood of Jesus paid the price for both. Now, folks, if I was preaching salvation, what the modern-day church calls salvation, If I was preaching, come give your heart to Jesus, and people came, well, I'll turn it around on me. Let's say that I heard the preaching of the gospel about Jesus dying for sins, and I decided to give my heart to the Lord. Well, I'd be gloriously saved. Doesn't mean I'd feel anything. Some people feel something, some people don't. But based on the word of God, I would be a new member of the family of God, right? No sin, no wrongdoing on my part would disqualify me from accepting Jesus and the sacrifice he made for my sin. But what if I sin tomorrow? I'm sure that'd be a great disappointment. And I don't doubt at all that the devil would tell me, now you thought you were saved. But here you are the day after going down to the front of the church to give your heart to Jesus. And you did something just like you used to do before you went down to the front of the church. Well, what would that mean? Would it mean I really wasn't saved? No, wouldn't mean that at all. Would it mean I really wasn't made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? No, wouldn't mean that either. It would simply mean one thing. It would mean that sin is still present in the earth. And that I'm going to have to exercise spiritual power spiritual authority to resist the sin that's in the earth so that I don't yield to its influence well then let's turn that to healing Jesus paid the price and was our substitute for physical healing or healing for the physical body just as much as he was our substitute for sin he bore away our sickness just like he bore away our sins he was made sick to the work on the cross just as much as he was made sin to the work of the cross so if I receive Jesus as my healer today and tomorrow I'm attacked with symptoms of sickness and disease does it mean I'm really not healed no it means sickness is still in the earth it means I'm going to have to exercise spiritual authority over sickness and disease to walk in what belongs to me physically just like I'd have to do to walk in what belongs to me spiritually. 
You can't judge righteousness by physical circumstances. You can't judge healing by physical circumstances in the body. If you do, you missed out on the whole thing that enables you to receive. See, folks, the word of God is true because it's God's word. If God said it, it must be so because he can't lie. If God were able to tell a lie, that lie would immediately become the truth. Because whatever God says is. And God says, you were healed by the stripes of Jesus. God says that salvation means the recreation of the human spirit and the repair and restoration of the human body. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what Jesus has done for us. We know that all over the world, in churches that believe in the name of Jesus, the word of God is preached that there is no sin that's too great for the blood of Jesus to overcome. And that the blood of Jesus has already overcome every sin, every wrongdoing, every transgression. And that all mankind must do is to accept the finished work of Jesus as their own. In the same manner, Lord, there is no sickness according to the work that Jesus did for us on the cross. There is no sickness that's too great for the price that the blood of Jesus has already covered. There is no disease, no duration of disease, no progression of disease that is too great for the work that Jesus has already finished. So Lord, recognizing and seeing that the gospel of Jesus and what he's done for us is the power of God into salvation. Just as what Jesus has done for us is the power of God to make us new creatures in Christ, to make us righteous in your sight. The blood of Jesus is sufficient to provide healing for the physical body. We receive Jesus as our healer just as we receive Jesus as our Savior. Lord, because Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, we declare that with his stripes, we are healed. Healing has already been granted to us. Jesus has already taken sickness away from the midst of us. So by faith, we call sickness gone. Just as Jesus said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart not be moved by circumstances but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass he shall have whatsoever he saith so we call sickness gone in Jesus name we call our bodies healed in Jesus name we call ourselves redeemed spiritually redeemed by the remission of sins physically redeemed by the healing of the body through the precious work of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that it's true no matter what we see, no matter what we feel. Thank you that we're healed by the stripes of Jesus. Lord, we worship you. We magnify you. We thank you. The prayer of faith always skins in the glad confession. It's mine. I have it now. So we declare... It's mine. We have it now. Thank you, Father, for restoring everything that the enemy has taken from us by the precious blood of Jesus. We bless you, Lord. We thank you, Father, that it's your will 
for us to be just as healed and just as healthy here on the earth as we will be in heaven with glorified bodies where there is no presence of sickness or disease. That's your will now, Father. And you've enabled your will to be brought to pass by the shed blood of Jesus. Is that true for you? As far as God's concerned, it's true. See, folks, as far as God is concerned, healing is an accomplished fact. It's not something to come. It's something that already has come. Faith says, I believe it's done. So it's mine now. Let's all stand. I believe, as we continue along this line, those that are crippled will walk. Those that are blind will see. Those that are deaf will hear. Those that are afflicted with sickness and disease will walk free from it. We wouldn't hesitate to tell somebody that about remission of sins, no matter how bad they thought they were, no matter what the condition of their souls or their life had been. We've got to stop making the distinction between physical healing and remission of sins. Jesus paid the same price for both. Let's lift our hands and thank God one more time. Thank you, Father, that we're healed by the stripes of Jesus. Thank you, Father, that the kingdom of God has come. We declare your will is done in our lives and in our bodies. Now, here on the earth, just like it'll be in heaven. We love you, Lord. We take advantage of and appropriate every part of what you did for us. In Jesus' name, amen.